Good morning, everybody. How you doing today? Good. Well, welcome to 2024, first uh, Sunday that we have together. It's so good to see you guys today. And uh, we want to welcome you this morning. Uh, again, if you need a seat, there's uh, about five, six up here at the front, uh, seven over there. So, uh, or actually, that one's taken it over there. Okay, all right. So, uh, anyway, uh, don't listen to me, but there are five or six up here at the front if you guys would like one. Again, want to welcome everybody that's joining us today. Welcome those that are joining us online and those that are in the overflow room this morning. Man, just appreciate you guys being here. And there's just something about coming together with God's people and singing together and celebrating who God is and, and what he's doing. And I just love sitting on the front row. Number one, I can sit by the speaker and I can sing as loud as I want to and nobody hears me. Number two is I love to be able to hear you guys. Like there's just something special about when I begin to hear you over these guys up front. That's a wonderful thing to me. That means that we're coming together, we're singing together, and we're celebrating the Lord who's worthy of it all. And I am so grateful and thankful to be a part of this church. By the way, my name's Robert, and I get the privilege of being the pastor here. And if you're here with us again for the first time, as Kirk said earlier, man, welcome today. We're so glad that you guys are here, and uh, we look forward to spending a few moments here with you again together and uh, opening up God's Word and sharing from it today. And uh, our church uh, is a church is a great place to get connected. Uh, God's doing some incredible things. Uh, as you can tell, we need more space. Uh, the good thing is we're working on it. If you look outside, uh, that's going to be our new auditorium. We're also working on some more parking, things of that nature. And so you just be in prayer sometime in 2024, right? I don't want to put a date on it. Hopefully by Easter, that's what I'm praying for, okay? But sometime by 2024, we're going to be completed with that and finished with that. And so I'm thankful for what the Lord's doing. We had a great time in our first service this morning. And uh, if you're an early riser uh, and want to get here at 830, we have several seats available uh, in that. Not very many. There was about three, four three-fourths full this morning, but there's there's some seats available in that first service. I know it's hard to get up uh, out of bed sometimes, but uh, if you want to do that, you're welcome to do that. Uh, we'd love to have you come and join us. Uh, I do want to share a couple of things with you real quick before we open up God's Word. By the way, if you got your Bibles, you can turn to the book of Nehemiah. We're going to be in chapter 1. We're going to look at a few verses there this morning as we kick off our new series entitled Rebuild. I'll talk about that just a little bit more. But one of the things that we want to help you do is we want to help you get connected. We want to help you be a part of what's happening, going on, uh, get connected with other people. And one of the best ways to do that is through group, through community. And we've got a couple of new groups that are kicking off uh, this year in 2024. We have a women's group from the ages of 30 to 40 in the 30s and 40s. Uh, Mary Ann's going to be leading that. It's going to start January the 25th on Thursday nights. It'll meet every other Thursday night. If you're interested in that uh, and would love to get connected in that, that's a great opportunity. We have other women's groups, uh, various ages that you can get connected to, and you can find out more information on our church center app as you heard Kirk talk about that if you don't have that on your phone you need that on your phone it's the lifeline to what happens and takes place it's how you register for events it's how you find groups it's how you find the church calendar all those things it's a one tool shop right there and you can find that information if you need help downloading it and putting it on your phone somebody can do that at our next steps area uh, today after the service be glad to do that and so men uh, we have a new group kicking off this year 
as well. It's actually starting this coming Wednesday night here at the church at 6.30. Um, uh, Steve Renniger is going to be leading that group, and uh, he's an awesome, awesome guy. And so if you don't have community and you don't have a group to get connected to, I would really encourage you to come to be a part of this. Uh, Man, it's going to be a great time together. I'm really excited about it and look forward to what God's going to continue to do. And again, you can register for that on the app. Now listen, I got one question. If you're with me, say I am. All right, you guys are not tired this morning, right? You've all had your Wheaties and breakfast. Some of you went to Shoney's Breakfast Bar before you came. Anybody do that? I don't know. No. All right, cool. One person, one person. All right, awesome. As long as I, I just said something and it's not true. But anyway, but uh, we're, uh, one of the things, and I forgot what I was going to tell you now. But anyway, I just want to make sure that you guys are with me. So uh, one of the things that we look forward to every year here at Milestone, uh, and 2024 is no different, is our marriage retreat. Uh, that's scheduled for April the 18th through the 20th. If you want a great opportunity, number one, you're going to meet some great people. This is all three campuses come together, so we have a large turnout for this. Uh, But the great thing about it is it's a great time to get away with your spouse. Now, in the first service, I said it's a great time to get away from your spouse, but that's not what I meant this morning. It's a great time to get away with your spouse and grow together in Jesus. And you have so much free time, and we stay in a great, great place. We stay in Pigeon Forge at the Hidden Mountain Resort. Uh, you have your own luxury cabin, you and your spouse. And it, we stay two nights. It's a Thursday night and Friday night. And we have sessions during the day on Friday morning. And then we have free time and just a lot of fun, different things to where that we just get together and hang out and, and grow together. And so, like, if you're interested in that, the cost of that is $385. Now, when you go rent a cabin on your own, like you're going to know that that's a real, you're basically paying for your cabin. We're going to cater a meal for you. We're going to give you the t-shirt. We're going to give you some resources and some things and invest in you. And so it's a great opportunity for you guys to grow together and go together. And uh, I hope that you take time to do that. And again, you can find that on Church Center. All right. And that's April the 18th and 20th. All right. And so again, let's look in our Bibles in the book of Nehemiah. We're going to get started this morning. And we're talking about this whole idea of rebuilding. Now, I want to kind of piggyback onto something, uh, that word rebuild, and I want want to look at it from maybe a little bit different perspective today. Um, When you think about, like, I don't know about you, but I love to wear jeans. Anybody else love to wear jeans? Matter of fact, I'm wearing jeans this morning. I usually normally wear jeans. If you see me wearing a shirt and tie, uh, there's usually one or two things happening. Somebody died or somebody's getting married, okay? And one of those is generally not a good thing. So, uh, but I, other than people going and on and being with the Lord, that's a good thing. Uh, but jeans are a wonderful comfort wearing clothing for me. Like, I love jeans. Now, I don't know about you, but like, it's, isn't it funny? Like, when you get a new pair of jeans, they don't feel like your favorite pair of jeans, do they? You know what I'm talking about? If you're with me, say I am. So like when you get a new pair of jeans, right, they're kind of rigid and they're a little bit stiff. And, you know, I just love jeans that are broken in. I love that like when you wear jeans over time and they get a little scarred, they get a little frayed and, you know, they're just broken in. They just feel comfortable. They just fit just right. And here's the deal. That didn't just happen overnight, right? They had to be washed over and over and over again. They had to be worn. They had to go through the muck. They had to go through the mire. They had to go through all sorts of things to get broken in. Maybe some 
some of you can kind of relate. It's like if you've ever bought a new baseball glove before, right? And there's nothing about that new smell of leather, right? And you just love it and all that kind of stuff. But if you got a new baseball glove and you try to go play with it right off the bat, right, it's going to be difficult, right? It's not going to close the same way. You're not going to be able to catch the ball the same way. It just doesn't have the same feel. And so you've got to work really hard and you've got to twist it and you've got to turn it. And there's stuff that you can put on it and you put it in the oven and you bake it, right? You just basically don't set it on fire, but like it gets pretty hot in there and it softens it up and loosens it up to where that you can be able to use it, right? And so when I think about those things, like I think we both could agree whether it be a baseball mitt or a pair of jeans, broken is better. Would you agree with me? Say, I do. Broken is better, right? It just There's something about that. There's some things that have to transpire in order for it to happen and to take place, but broken is definitely better. Do you know something else? Spiritually speaking, broken is better. Now, when we talk about being broken, we don't like the thought of being broken. Because if you're broken, that means you're going through some stuff. There's been some things that are transpiring around you. There's been some things that have been happening on the perimeter of your life, or maybe even internally in your life, that are very difficult, that are very hard. Sometimes in the middle of feeling broken, you can feel hopeless. You can feel helpless. You don't know where to go or where to turn. And maybe some of you can relate to that. You, maybe some of you have been right in the middle of that. But when we talk about brokenness, spiritually speaking, broken is always better. I believe that broken people have a, ten, a tendency to see and feel God to a greater degree than others. Broken people tend to be more humble and forgiving of others. When we talk about brokenness, there's a lot of ways that we can experience brokenness. And we can be broken in different ways. And the truth of the matter is, is that if you're here today, here's some news for you. You're broken. I'm broken. We're all broken. Every single one of us are broken in some form of fashion. Some of you, like you've been experiencing, maybe you're going through the midst of a, a broken marriage and it's a very difficult time. And maybe you went to all the counseling and maybe you did all the things that you could possibly do and you still found yourself in that predicament. And you can feel, and sometimes you feel hopeless in this moment. Maybe you're in broken relationships, family, so on and so forth, right? The holidays can kind of highlight those things that are happening and transpiring within our families. Uh, rather than great, wonderful gatherings, they can be difficult dynamics and there can be fussing and fighting and there can uh, be division among them. And maybe you uh, have experienced stress and drama and it consumes your thoughts and emotions, right? As you sit and you think and you ponder on life and things. Maybe some of you have broken dreams that you were setting out on a certain path and a certain course and moving in a certain direction and you felt God lead you to pursue a particular path, but you've run into one roadblock after another, right? You find yourself in a place of opposition over and over and over again. Maybe it's a broken job. Maybe you had this thought that if I had this job and if I had this life and, 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 and this was my surroundings that everything in life would make sense and it feels as if like, you know, it's unfulfilling and unsustaining. Maybe for some of you, you've experienced difficulty in health and it's like a, a broken body that feels like that it's mocking you or failing you. I know family members who are struggling and going through that right now in the middle of it. Maybe it's a broken habit. 
Maybe it's something to where that it, it's been hanging on to you and, and you've had this heart and had this desire that I'm going to let this go. Lord, I need you to take this, but you still find yourself in the muck and the mire and all the distress and all the dysfunction and all the surroundings. Maybe some of you this morning would just simply say, my whole life has just been one word, it's been broken. And I feel like that there's constant rubble and debris all around me. Well, the title of this series is called Rebuild. And here's what I want you to know. No matter the circumstance, no matter the situation, the devastation, God can and He will rebuild in your life for His glory, for His honor. God has the ability. God has the authority. God has the willingness to do that. And as we look at the story of Nehemiah, it's a story about broken things and broken people with who, who with God's strength are able to overcome and see God restore and rebuild things anew. And really, when we dive into it a little bit further, it's about this unfaithful people who encounter a faithful, unrelenting God who constantly pursues after them, who constantly goes after them, who constantly loves them in spite of their situations and their circumstances. Now, here's the deal. You may not be familiar with the book of Nehemiah, but the one date that I want you to remember is 586 B.C. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. 586 B.C. is when King Nebuchadnezzar, who's king of the Babylonian Empire, right? They rose to the dominant power of the world at this particular time. And they're taking over Jerusalem. They're taking over Judah. And when he came in and took over Judah, he leveled the city. He leveled the walls. He leveled the temple. I mean, it looked as if hardly anybody ever lived there. I mean, it was such devastation and such destruction. However, through God's grace and through God's goodness, because the Assyrians were able to overcome God's people because of their unfaithfulness and they had turned their back to God and they had went in another direction. And so God allowed things to happen to bring them back into a right relationship with Him. But under the direction of God's sovereignty in 539 B.C., God restored Judah using King Cyrus of the Persian Empire. And he allowed God's people to return back to Jerusalem to begin to rebuild their lives, to rebuild their city, and, and to start over. And when you look at this, right, and we begin to dive into this in chapter 1, verse 1, we're picking up in 446 B.C. Now, those things are important so that you can have good context of what's happening and going on. There's probably been about 140 years since the people have returned and the walls have been in ruin and Jerusalem's been in devastation. But something significant begins to transpire and take place. And we begin to see that in Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 1. And it starts with, it says that the words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah. Now when you read that, it's really, you know, it's, it's not that dramatic. You know, it's anticlimactic, if you will. Because really what, even though that Nehemiah's name means the Lord comforts, he's relatively a nobody. He's relatively unknown. He doesn't have royal blood, right? This is what you need to know about Nehemiah. He doesn't have royal blood. Uh, he doesn't have a rich heritage. In fact, Nehemiah and Hakaliah aren't even mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. And so when he says Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, it's another way of saying, here's Nehemiah, I'm just an ordinary guy and the son of nobody. And I want you to get that. I want you to understand that. Because a lot of times it's, we kind of pass over things like that because when we read stories like that, we often say, well, listen, God did that in their life, but man, I just doubt he would do that in mine. 
I mean, they were just on a different level. They were just on a different plane. Here's what you need to know. Nehemiah was an ordinary guy. He was the son of someone who was unknown. He, he, he doesn't uh, come from royalty or anywhere like that. He's not a prophet. He's not a priest. He's not a king. Now, he does have a great job. He's got a wonderful job. He's a cupbearer to the king. Now, I don't know if you guys remember or not, and some of you were here, some of you were not, when we were going through the story of Joseph. And Joseph encountered a cupbearer, and I talked about what a cupbearer did. So I'm going to tell you again, for those maybe who weren't here for the very first time, a cupbearer, he was very close to the king. He had a great responsibility. His responsibility, his job, right, his job was to taste the food and to drink the wine before the king ate it. Because there would be a lot of people who were trying to uh, eliminate the current king. They were wanting to uh, uh, take his throne and have his place of prominence and position and authority. And so there was, all this, uh, there was always a threat of assassination. And so Nehemiah, his responsibility was to make sure by testing the wine and testing the food before the king ate it, right, that it was okay. And the way that the king would know that, if Nehemiah did those things and he was still living, then it was good for him to eat. Now here's what you need to know, is that this is a really cush job. It's a great responsibility because not only was he just testing food and, and testing the wine, but he was also somebody who was revered by the king. He's somebody that was a confidant, somebody that he looked to. He was, he was basically like the secretary of state to the king. He was an advisor. He would give counsel. And he would be like you know his news outlet, his media outlet, to keep him current on what's happening and going on. So Nehemiah, even though that he is a nobody, he's just a regular individual, he has a great job. He has a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful job. He's comfortable. But we see something that transpires and takes place in chapter 1. So let's look here together in the Scripture today. In Nehemiah chapter 1, we're going to look at verses... One and two. It said, These are the memoirs of Nehemiah, son of Hakali. In late autumn, in the month of Kislev, that's around December, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was at the fortress of Susa. Hanion, one of my brothers, came to visit me with some of the other men who had just arrived from Judah. And I asked them about the Jews who had returned there from captivity and how things were going in Jerusalem. So Nehemiah, again, he's got this cush job. He's living in Susa. It's the capital of the Persian Empire. It was kind of the winter palace of the king, if you will. And it's around the month of December on our calendar year when he says it's the month of Kesla. And he basically gets a family reunion, a surprise visit from some of his family. And they begin to have a, a discussion and begin to, uh, he begins to do some investigating reporting, if you will. Of, uh, they've traveled for about 800 miles and they're having this discussion and dialogue. And you can imagine his excitement of seeing family and friends. You know, we love to see our family and friends for the most part. And, and you know, we give them hugs and we high five and, you know, our little things that we do and all that kind of stuff. And, and though Nehemiah remained there in Persia, some people had migrated back. His family is living there in Jerusalem. He's living here in Persia. Even though that he, he is still there, he's interested in what's happening and going on. He, he's concerned about the state of affairs. And when you really begin to think about it, he could have isolated himself. 
He could have said, you know what, I've got this job right here, and man, I want to make sure that I keep this job, and I, I don't need any outside drama, I don't need any external drama, I don't need to know what's going on, and how much. I'm going to take care of me and mine, and I'm going to do my thing, I'm going to keep my head down, I'm going to make sure that I don't upset the king, I want to make sure that I continue to maintain this lifestyle that I have. He could have chose to do that, but he didn't choose to do that. He deeply cared for God's people. There was a genuine concern for the people of God. And I want you to really see this, and I want you to know that. He wasn't just concerned with his life and what was in front of him and, and being about all him. Like, and now one of the things I begin to think about is like Nehemiah, like how we are to be concerned about people. How we're to be concerned about one another, like we're, we're a part of the body of Christ. We're a church family, right? And one of the things that the scripture says that we as the body of Christ are to do, like in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, like he tells us, he writes to the church of Galatia, he says, listen, you need to bear one another's burdens. But like oftentimes when we talk about things like that, if we're really honest, like we get so busy and we get so caught up in our own lives, in our own personal doings, that we pass people often and we don't ever take time to really invest and really care for one another. Are you following me this morning? It's like, have you ever asked somebody, like, how's things going? And then they tell you. And you're like, whoa. I don't know if I should have asked that or not. Like, should have just said, hey, what's up, man? I hope you're doing well, man. Walk on. Like, that's a lot. But I believe as God's people, we're to care for one another. Not only just for one another, but we're to care about our community. We're to care about the world. We're to care about people all over the globe. And we can look around like Nehemiah, and we can know that there is destruction, there is debris, their families are being destroyed, right? Our, our, whole, our whole fabric and our whole uh, values are being destroyed in today's culture, in today's world. And it's really easy to kind of sit along and just go about your own path and do your own thing. And we see destructions in other people's lives and people that we live across the street from and people that we work with. And we hear all these things and sometimes it's real easy just to get caught up and to do our own thing and to stay in our own lane. But I believe God's people wants us to be passionate about what he's concerned about. God's passionate about people. He loves people. He cares for people. And I believe as Christ followers, we ought to care for one another. We ought to have a heart for other people. Right? Our church says create environments so people far from God can be filled with life in Christ. We want people to know Jesus. We want people to experience Jesus. Not so that we can say, man, we had so many people give their life to Jesus, raise their hand, pray a prayer, mark a card, all that kind of stuff. I want people to encounter a living God who is able to rebuild and restore and make all things new. And God's called me to be compassionate about that, to be passionate, to seeing people far from God be filled with life from Christ. And he hasn't just called me to that. He's called all of us. Like, are we concerned about people really having a hope in Jesus and knowing Jesus? Because here's what the scripture says. If somebody dies without Jesus, they split hell wide open. That's what the Bible teaches. That's the truth. And we got to be passionate about seeing people far from God be filled with life in Christ. We ought to be passionate about evangelism, disciple making, right? We ought to be passionate about church planning and seeing people, again, be a part of God's family. All those things because those are on the heart of God. 
more so than our sports teams, more so than our favorite show on our Netflix series, more, more favorite than anything or platform or anything that we have, work, hobbies, right? I believe our prayer should be, Lord, turn our concerns into passions. I wouldn't say that people aren't concerned about those things, but when you're passionate about it, it enables you and enacts you to move and act upon it. Just staying in your lanes no longer sufficient. And this is where Nehemiah is at. Nehemiah wants to know because he generally cares. Let's look here in verse 3. He said, they say to me, again, he asks, how's it going? And then they tell him, things are not going well. Things are not going well for those who return to the province of Judah. They're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. So again, think about this when Nehemiah hears this for the first time. Think about this, like think of a favorite place that you have. Think of a sentimental place. Maybe it was where you grew up. Maybe it was a house that you lived in. Maybe it was a school that you went to. Maybe it was a restaurant where you met the love of your life and you all had your first meal together. Imagine driving by there and it had been leveled. Like how that would grip your heart. How that would bring up some things in your heart and in your life. You see, Jerusalem had been leveled and the walls had been torn down. And a lot of times it's real easy to read that. And it's like, well, what's the big deal? It's just walls. Well, walls meant something. Walls meant for a city in this day and age that it provided security. It provided a place to where that people knew that, listen, we are secure in this place, that we have care, that we have coverage, and now those things have been leveled. It was also like when they would go to a city and it didn't have walls, it would be like a mockery of that city. It's like this place could be taken over at any point in time. They're sitting ducks. And so the people of God were in shambles. They had been living in ruins. And again, 140 years since they've been returned and all the rubble and all the debris and all the shame and all the hurt are still there. It's been happening for a long time. And Nehemiah wants to get word of this. He wants to hear about this. And man, his heart is broken. They were broken down, burned, and defenseless. As I said, it provided security. I remember when I went to Venezuela... And I've went several years, I've went several times over several years, and we've done a lot of mission work and things of that nature over there. But I remember the very first time that I went, how blown away I was that this was a very um, a poverty-stricken nation, country. And what was fascinating to me about that is like people had generally nothing. A lot of people had like lived in shanties and things of that nature, and every shanty would have a fence around it. And if they could find enough concrete, they'd build a wall around it. Right? They didn't have hardly anything but what they had they wanted to make sure was secure because they live in a very crime-driven country and if you had something of any value whatsoever or something that somebody else deemed valued, it would be gone. If you didn't have it nailed down, if you didn't have it secure in some capacity, it would be gone. And the people that had something you know, in their country, I mean, it would just be, it was below of what you know, we would consider poverty here. I mean, it was just blew me away of the conditions that people were living in. But they would take concrete and they would get concrete and they would build these walls around them, sometimes about seven foot. And then they would go around and walk and they would find glass bottles. And they would take that glass and they would break it and they would put those shards of glass at the top of the wall, doing whatever they could just to keep people out. We have a hard time understanding that. Imagine if you couldn't lock your front door or utilize your ring 
uh, video camera that you have there on the front door to see who's delivering packages, see who's doing all those things, things that make us feel some, have some sense of security. Imagine if you couldn't do any of those things. It's hard to imagine. But these people were a sitting duck. Now, we're going somewhere, so stay with me right here. I hadn't made you talk to your neighbor yet, but stay tuned. You might. Okay. But this isn't just a home. This is an entire nation. And not just any nation. This is God's people that He's provided for time and time and time again. And if that wasn't enough, you can imagine all the psychological and instability and disgrace and shame that came upon that. Now, when Nehemiah heard this, like again, it would have been very easy for him to say, you know what, I'm going to stay in my lane. There's nothing I can do about it. That's been going on for 141 years. What am I going to do? I'm a nobody. I'm just a cupbearer to the king. Yeah, I've got a good job, but listen, I can't do anything. That's 800 miles away. But when Nehemiah hears this, and again, this is not new news, but he said this in verse 4. Look here with me. And again, I want you to keep this in mind. I want you to think about, again, families in ruins. In our community, there are things happening just right around us. There are things that some of you are educators, teachers, that you know that go on in kids' homes and the things that they endure and the things that they suffer through. We know coworkers that are going through situations and hard times and horrible circumstances. We know about all these things. We know about people in our own family who are struggling and holding on for dear life for a wide variety of things. It's not new news. But my heart and my prayer would be like this moment right here, that we would hear it even though that we've heard it before, that we would hear it in a fresh and a new way with spiritual ears and that God would do something within our hearts and within our lives. And listen to how it affected Nehemiah when he heard this for the very first time. He said, when I heard this, I sat down and wept. In other words, Nehemiah was broken. He was broken over what was happening. He said, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, I fasted, and I prayed to the God of heaven. Nehemiah was broken over the condition, right? It affected him personally, right? He was broken over that. He's like, oh God, Lord, I am so broken over what's happening. Let me ask you a question this morning. This is what God's been saying to me. When's the last time you've really been broken? Like you've been broken, over a loved one, that you've been broken over a coworker, that you've been broken over a family that lives across the street that desperately needs a touch of Jesus to meet the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. When has the last time that you've been broken over God's people being built back up and God's glory being known? When have we been broken over our country? When have we been broken over our nation? When have we been broken? When's the last time that we've truly been broken? Because I'm afraid a lot of us are like the rest of the people like this has been going on for all as, as long as we can remember. It's been like this my whole life. And if it's been like this my whole life, and if it's been this way my whole life, then it'll continue to be. And what can I do? Well, when you're broken, God begins to stir up something. God begins to do something. See, before anything can be blessed, it has to be broken. And Nehemiah said that when I set, heard this, I sat down and wept like I was wailing. I was so broken. 
And I mourned and I fasted and I prayed to the God of heaven. He wept. He's wailing. He's lamenting. It's more than just crying, eyes watery. I mean, he's calling out to God from his heart. He's fasting. See, if I could explain fasting this way, he's, 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 fasting is being willing to give up something that your body needs so that you can gain something spiritually speaking. It's giving something up that your physical body needs to feed your spiritual needs that we have. And fasting is always combined with prayer. And that's what Nehemiah does. He begins to, to pray. And we know that he pours out his heart. He prays for, for months. And we know this because when you read chapter 1, verse 1, to all the way to chapter 2, verse 1, we, we can see how long he's been spending time and he's been broken over this and he's been crying out to God. He's been begging to God, to God to do something. And you know, when we talk about prayer, sometimes we say, well, listen, I'm at a point and I'm at a juncture and my life is a mess and everything's destructed. I guess all I can do is pray. And prayer is often looked at as a last resort. But prayer should always be a first resort. What we do oftentimes is we try to handle the situation. We try to manage the circumstance. And we talk to this person. We talk to that person. And we try to do things. And we say things. And we email things. And we post things. And we go on and on and on. And we do everything that we can do. And then we get to the point it's like, well, I guess I can pray. When really prayer ought to be our first thought. Lord, we need You. Lord, we need Your power. And listen, here's the deal. If you have God's presence, you will always have His power. Whenever God is present, His power is available. We need the presence of God in our life. And when we call on Him and when we seek Him, the Scripture says we will find Him. And I'm praying that prayer would become our first resort as a church family, as you as an individual in your family. That I'm praying over our church, I'm praying over my family, that we would make prayer our first resort. And I pray that God's power would be uh, illuminate our circumstances and situations and, and all the things that are happening around us. So what brought such a dramatic response to Nehemiah? Because again, he had heard this before. It's obvious that God was doing something afresh and anew in his heart and in his life. God was at work in Nehemiah's soul. And my prayer is that God would do a work in our soul. And it motivated him and it compelled him to be willing to be a part of the solution. And Nehemiah also, he wept in this moment because again, God's glory had been diminished in that. He opened his eyes and God broke his heart. And so his prayer, look here with me in verse 5 and 6. Here's where it gets practical for you and I. It's important that we're broken. If we're going to see God rebuild, we've got to be broken. But we've got to see us for ourselves. And Nehemiah said, then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of unfailing love with those who love him and obey his commands, he says, listen to my prayer. Look down and see me praying night and day for Israel. He begins to praise God. He begins to 
look and see the mightiness of God. And he is aware that his God is much bigger, his much, is much greater. Yes, there's devastation and yes, there's rubble, debris all around. But his God is so much greater and so able. And it really began to put his problems in perspective and the people of Israel's problems in perspective. Right. His God was sovereign and able to do all things. And he calls God awesome. And God is awesome. And God is wonderful. And again, he's reminded of the faithfulness of God as he talks about his unfailing love. And I love this verse that's found. You need to write this down in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13, as Paul's writing to a young Timothy who's pastoring the church of Ephesus. And he tells him this, even in our faithlessness, in other words, he says, if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. He says, in other words, even when we're faithless, guess what? Here's the good news. God is faithful. The people were in the situation because they had turned their backs to God. But God was faithful. He sent a king and opened the doors for them to return. And eventually he's going to send a leader to lead the rebuilding of the walls and the restoration of Jerusalem. But it's all part of God's plan. And it's all part of God's glory. Because God is faithful. And he's true to his character. I want you to know that about you. There have been moments in 2023 and even leading up to this first Sunday in 2024 where you have been faithless, where I have been faithless to where that we've turned our backs on the Lord. But here's what I want you to know. God never gives up on us. He keeps pursuing us. He keeps coming after us because, again, he's a God of love and he's a God of restoration. But also in this prayer, as he's praising the Lord, it leads him to a place of brokenness and confession. And he says this, I confess that we have sinned against you. Yes, even my own family and I have sinned. We have sinned terribly, not by obeying the commands, decrees, and regulations that you gave us through your servant Moses. Now here's what's important about that. When Nehemiah is praying about this, I want you to hear, he doesn't put the blame on somebody else. He owns his responsibility. He owns his own sin. See, like what we like to do a lot of times, and a lot of people do, it's like, you know, they want to blame everybody else. Well, the reason that I acted that way, the reason that I said that, the reason that I did that, the reason that I'm the way that I am is because of what so-and-so did. And I get it, and I'm not trying to minimize what somebody else did or said about you. But it's real quick to point out the destruction in everybody else's lives. And we don't take the time to look in the mirror to look at the destruction and the devastation in our own life. Nehemiah could have said, man, there's been people over there in Judah, they haven't done anything. Some of my family members, they've just been sitting there waiting on somebody to save them. They're not doing anything about that. He could have complained. He could have pointed blame. But what does Nehemiah do? He's broken and he says, oh God, forgive me. You see, when you really pray and you really see God for who He is, it'll bring confession in your heart. It'll bring repentance in your heart. And here, I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. And man, this is so important. I want you to really see this. Rebuilding can't start until the excuses stop. Until you quit making excuses about your situation and your circumstance and you don't allow God to deal with you and your heart and your turmoil and your debris and your drama and your sin and your own heart and your life, you'll find yourself living in ruins day after day after day. But I'm telling you this morning, if you will get real with God, if you will get honest with God, 
And if you will humble yourself before the Lord and you will begin to deal with your own heart and your own life, and yes, there may have been things that happened to you that you had no control over. God is well aware of that. And listen, there's going to be a day to where every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to confess before the King of kings and Lord of lords. But right now, God's called you to humble yourself before Him. He's called me to humble myself before Him. And He's saying, listen, get real and deal with your circumstances situation and your drama otherwise you're going to continue to live in ruins but I want to rebuild and I want to reconstruct something that's new but it can't start until you're honest until you quit making excuses so what about you today is there a sin in your life that you just need to flat out own own it have you been a poor spiritual leader Again, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. It's like, man, I came to feel good today. It's 2024. Let's get this thing moving. I feel you. I hear you, right? I've been studying this all week, and God's been wrecking me. Have you neglected certain things that are important to the Father? Have you, do you have an addiction that you need to come clean with? Corporately, like, have you just been like lukewarm and just kind of going through the motions in your relationship with Christ? Have you refused to serve? Have you been unwilling to trust God with what He's calling you to? Be real with it. Be honest with it. Deal with it. Because in that moment, there is healing. God can begin to rebuild what's been broken and torn down. Nehemiah's broken over his people's situation. He's broken over his sin, and he's praying boldly and asking God to move. Man, I pray that that would be us. I pray that that is what exactly we would be willing to do. That we wouldn't just get so caught up in our lane that we would be like Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 when he's seen a God who is high and lifted up in the middle of a lot of uncertainty in the nation of Israel at that time. And the first thing that he said is, oh, forgive me for I'm unclean and undone. And then he said, here I am, Lord. Use me, send me. You see, we know that things have been broken for a long time, but here's the deal. God wants to use you. God wants to use me to be part of the restoration through his grace through his mercy, through his love. And if we're willing and if we'll allow ourselves to be used by God, God will move. God will move. But we've got to be broken. We've got to be broken. You know, one of the things that I love to talk about in closing and have our worship team come down right here uh, this morning as we conclude today. I had a rubber band in my pocket and I guess in the middle of standing out there and I grabbed my phone, I think, and it fell out. So anyway, I'm going to register grab it right now. But usually I like to talk about the strength of a rubber band. You know how you can tell the strength of a rubber band? Huh? The ability, the elasticity in it, right? Determines how strong the rubber band is. Like you can stretch it and you can stretch it and stretch it, but you stretch it to a certain point and what happens? It breaks. If you can imagine just one thing, and here's the thing, God wants to stretch you. And listen, when God stretches you, it's uncomfortable. When God calls you to unknown, it's difficult. It's uncertain. But it's in that moment to where that He wants to break you. He wants you to get over yourself. He wants me to get over myself. And He said, listen, I want to do some things. I want to rebuild some things in your life. 
I want to rebuild some things in your life so there can be reconstruction in others around you, family members, co-workers, friends, family, students, whoever. But when you break a rubber band, it's broken. But guess what? You can stretch it way further than you could before. That's what God wants to do to you and myself. But in order to do that, we've got to humble ourselves and we've got to say, Lord, here it is. We've got to be honest with God. And listen, some of us have just been playing church and playing games. We're talking about a real deal, eternal things, about a real God who wants to meet real people in a very real and personal way. And he chooses to use his church, his people, you and I, right? That's plan A, to fill up heaven for his glory, for his honor, to know this great, wonderful God who's made a way when there was no other way. And there is no plan B. God wants to do something great, and it starts today, but you got to quit making excuses. you got to get serious with God. Now, I know some people probably think, man, like, I don't know what was the matter with him. 2023 must have been a bad year. Like, he's up in everybody's grill this morning and all that kind of stuff. I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I'm not trying to, uh, you know, I don't know, uh, guilt you into something. Guilt's never a good motive. But I do believe that God wants to break our heart for what breaks his. And I believe, if we're honest, we just got numb and immune to a lot of things that are going on in our own personal lives and what's happening around us. And I believe God wants to say, hey, like today I want to do something new. Today I want to rebuild. So what are you going to allow God to do in your life today? Whatever he is leading you to do, whatever he wants you to do. For some of you, maybe that's surrendering your life to Jesus. I'm not talking about, I checked a box, I prayed a prayer, I got wet. I'm talking about a time when you genuinely gave your heart to a living God, a real God, and said, Lord, here is my life. Lord, I repent of my sin. Lord, I am surrendering my life to you. Lord, here it is. I believe God wants to do that in your life today. If you've never truly done that today, I believe he wants to do that today. Maybe for some of you today, like you could say like, hey, listen, I started down here, but I've migrated over here. And God wants me to bring back, be back in this position, in this place. And I've got to be honest about some things. And you need to lay them down at the feet of Jesus. Then you can come pray this morning. Maybe you just got some burdens on your heart today that you've been carrying. I want you to know you're not alone today, right? We're, we're, we're here to bear one another's burdens, to encourage one another. Right? That's what the scripture says. Encourage one another as the day of the Lord approaches. Got an opportunity to do that today. So just let the Lord have his way. We're going to stand. We're going to sing a song right now.